Hey, I'm Rob Tigan. And I'm Joanna Tigan. Rob and I have been married over 30 years and share an addiction to coffee, bookstores, and Christmas music. We often debate how many dogs are enough and who should win the voice every season. We're a neat freak married to a not-so-neat freak, an explorer to a homebody, and an introvert to a people person. But we do agree that our vows are for always, children are a gift, and prayer is powerful. Our hope through this podcast is that we can walk with you in caring for the soul of your family. Thanks for being here. Thank you, friends, for joining us on the show today. Well, last time we got together, we had a great conversation about how to prepare our hearts to launch our kids into adulthood. And we're going to camp just a little longer today on this season of parenting young adults. And Rob and I have been counting down the days to this episode because it touches on a tender topic that parents like you and Rob and I can hold pretty close to our chest. Today, we get to take the heartache of parenting adult and wayward children and bring it out into the light to find the wisdom and the encouragement that we need. Yes, and to help us do that today, we're glad to welcome our guest and friend, Mary DeMuth, to the podcast. Uh, Mary is the author of the new book, Love, Pray, Listen, Parenting Your Wayward Adult Kids with Joy. Mary is an international speaker, a podcaster, and the author of over 40 books, both fiction and nonfiction. She knows what it is like to overcome a difficult past and to help others write a new story in their own lives. Mary has been married uh, to her husband for 30 years, and she's the mom of three adult kids. Thank you, Mary, for joining us today. So great to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so Joanna mentioned how, you know, parenting prodigal kids can stir up a lot of painful emotions for moms and dads. So um, can you tell us a little bit about your own journey as a mom and what led you to kind of write about the, the wayward children? Yeah, it actually has a funny little origin story of several years before when I was not a parent of adult children and I had met um, someone through a prayer loop whose joy rose and fell on the choices of her children and mostly fell. (laughs) And I just kind of made a little determination like, oh, I just don't want to do that. But then (laughs) it's always nice to make those determinations. But then um, my kids reached those ages and I felt like, okay, I get this now. But I still felt like there was something more to be had, that that there was joy to be had in the midst of launching our kids and allowing them to have wings and make decisions that we might not like and to still have joy. And I, I have to believe that because there's always joy in the presence of God. There's always joy reading the word of God. There's always joy being connected to him. So therefore, we can have joy. Mm. I love that. Well, you know, one thing that I'm grateful for, Mary, is that in your book, you put a name uh, to the struggles that we experience when our kids reject the God that we love. And I think one of the biggest battlegrounds is fear, right? I mean, fear that our kids will hurt themselves with their choices or Mm -hmm. fear that they'll never be spiritually saved and fear that our different beliefs will destroy our relationship with them. Um, So why do you think that we can have hope that even when there's this wide chasm between our beliefs, that we can stay in good relationship with our kids? 
I think part of that is working on our own identity and realizing that our identity is not tied to the outcome of how our children turn out. Um, I think that has a big component of it, um, but I don't want to downplay the pain that it is as well. And so I think it's just important that we rest in the idea that God has billions of prodigal children. He was the perfect father in the Garden of Eden. He had a perfect environment for those two adult children and his adult children rebelled and then the rest of humankind did as well. And so when we're walking through this kind of the, you know, quagmire of pain, we at least can go to the God who understands on an incredible level, like having billions of people rebel against you. He understands and he can walk with us through that heartache. Yeah. I think, uh, it's, it's easy to forget that, that, you know, we, God has, has always been patient with us in, in our journey. And, and, you know, I, you know, if I go back to when I was in my teens and early twenties and the questions I had and some of the things I questioned that maybe my parents, you know, the way they looked at things or things they taught me and it, it was a process, you know, and so, you know, we all were born in sin. So at some point we were all prodigals who needed God to step in mm-hmm. and, and that journey uh, for each kid is, is, uh, is different. And we don't know what, you know, and I think that's the hard thing as a parent. We don't know how far they have to go for God to, mm-hmm. you know, for them to want to turn back, you know, using kind of the prodigal story, you know, we, we want to protect our kids from that. But, you know, one of the things you talk about also is, is the, the challenge as a parent, um, to practice what James one nineteen says that we should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to mm-hmm. become angry. And it's it's hard to do that when our kids are maybe questioning the Bible, rejecting the Bible, um, holding up culture, um, and and the answers there. And so, can you counsel us a little bit on the art of of, of listening? Because you talk a lot about the importance of that in the book. You know, I think we have lost in the past couple of years, especially with COVID and a lot of online ranting, we have lost table spirituality, which is learning how to love each other um, around a table. And that to me is how, I guess, one thing we've done well as a family, and I've done one million things wrong, so don't hear me (laughs) boasting, but is that we've had a lot of conversations around a table and that has helped us to become good listeners When we lived in France, we were church planters there. And one of the things that I learned about American culture coming from another culture is that the French would have these robust discussions around the dinner table and they would leave as friends. And as an American, I couldn't understand that. I thought they hated me because there's always, as an American, I thought there has to be a winner and a loser. And if that person won the argument, then I'm a loser. If I win the argument, then they're a loser. And then we cannot part as friends because there's a winner and loser. But what I learned was that they actually would even change their view to have a really excellent conversation. And then they would kiss you on each cheek and go. And what I learned from that was that, you know, there's, there is art in learning how to have good conversation. There is art in having a holy curiosity of your child. And that to me is what I'm trying to cultivate is this holy curiosity of just being fascinated by my kids and asking great questions. And instead of thinking of my answer in order to retaliate and pontificate about my rightness, I just simply listen and try to find points of connection in the conversation. That's good. I, I um, took a uh, 
had a grad program uh, not too long ago. One of the classes I took was on an introduction to um, spiritual direction. But really what it was was a, a class on listening. And I mm-hmm. I didn't realize how much Joanna says she fell in love with me because I was a good listener. And I realized with phones and busyness, um, I have lost that. And it's mm-hmm. very easy in conversations to start, like you said, you you kind of start thinking of your argument and you're not really listening to the person and what they're saying or hearing their heart or, you know, going from an empathetic point. And so I, I love that. Yeah, you're making me think about a conversation that came up a couple of months ago with one of our kids. And we discovered that we stand in very different places in our views on abortion rights. And I was shocked by that. I had just assumed we'd always think the same way. And trying to practice this art of listening and that conversation was really difficult for me. But I think what stood out was um, I had to check my assumption about her motives first. Mm -hmm. And when I realized, you know, underneath it all, we both are coming from the same place. We both are trying to figure out how do we show compassion. And maybe the outworking of that looked way different. But when I saw my daughter's trying to communicate to me that this is coming out of compassion from her side of it, it allowed me to be way more quiet. So what would you say about the assumptions that we can operate out of and how that affects our listening? I think you're right. And jumping to that conclusion without first asking clarifying questions can be detrimental. And I'm not saying that we as parents can't have belief. (laughs) Of course we can. And of course we can follow Jesus in the way we conduct our theology and our practice of our theology. Absolutely. But I think too, one thing that you noticed in that conversation and one thing that I've noticed with my kids around the same conversation is we there is always some common ground for the most part. And in this conversation about that difficult issue, for us, the common ground was we all would love to see women in crisis flourish. And when you get to those places in conversation, it's so much better than just having two different sides and warring back and forth and trying to convince each other. But if you can find that common ground, and it's not easy to find sometimes, I mean, you really have to work at it. But if if you have that ethic of let's find something that we can agree on, it it makes the conversation so much more interesting. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah. And that kind of leads me a little bit to something I wanted to ask you about. We see more and more frequently that young people are choosing to take on a sexual identity or participate in same-sex activity that is outside of the Bible's design for intimate marriage between a man and a woman. And I think we're seeing that it can be really tempting for moms and dads to bend their own beliefs and what the Bible says in these things. So in these areas of disagreement, how do we hold firm to our trust in the word without driving our kids farther away? I think there's a, a lie in the culture today that says, if you love me, you will not only approve of what I do, but you will applaud it. Mm. And Jesus didn't act that way. He did tell the truth, but he also was love personified. And so I believe it's that narrow pathway between the two of truth and love or grace and truth, however you want to look at that. I do not believe that a parent has to sacrifice their belief. You know, in other words, if I hold to a Judeo-Christian ethic, 
then it means that I don't love my child. I think you can still hold to the, you know, thousands of years of history, church history, and yet still love. That's the narrow way. It's harder. And the culture would say that that's not love, but I still believe that we can. And there's a story in the book of a couple that went through that and they kept looking for friends to talk to about it. And they didn't find any friends who hadn't capitulated to the culture's view on that issue. And so it was a very lonely place for that couple. So what kind of encouragement would you give those parents in the way that they engage with their own child around that? I think my best advice is is to err on the side of love. It's okay and it's certainly permissible to share your beliefs, but just do it once and be done. They probably already even knew them before you shared them. (laughs) But if you feel the need to clarify one more time, do it and then be quiet and then just continue to, you know, love. And you don't need to keep continually being the Holy Spirit to your child. That's not your job. And one of the things that's really helped me in parenting has been to watch my kids and to listen to their lives and to find ways to go out of my way to really encourage them. And sometimes that even means buying a gift that they might want or need when they're, you know, not on their birthday and just finding ways to, to love them. Yeah. That's good. Yeah, that's, that is good. And, and I think you, to your point, you know, our kids, Generally, I mean that that's where the the tension comes from, right? They they know what we think and what we believe, and so I think it takes a lot more. Like you said, it t- it takes the narrow way. It takes getting in there and really listening to our kids to be able to reframe some of our own thoughts and the the things that we're thinking to communicate them in ways that that show how we love our kids and, and not mm-hmm. always, you know, the, the pat answers that they, they assume they know that we're going to, we're going to say. So I love that. And, you know, your book is powerful as you structure the chapters around these verses in first Corinthians chapter 13, which is the love chapter um, that talks about love is patient and it endures all things and um, it doesn't give up. So h- how do we become the kind of parents who hold on to hope for our kids and keep the faith that God can reach our kids no matter what. I think that goes back to a robust view of the sovereignty of God and prayer. And I think the thing that I've seen lately is that as American Christians, we tend to prescribe to God the way in which we would like him to answer our prayers and the timing in which we would like it. So therefore, if I pray that you know something is changing in their lives— and it doesn't happen tomorrow, and it doesn't happen the next day, then I can get discouraged and I can lose hope because things are not happening in my timetable. It's much more productive to be able to say to the Lord, you are wildly creative. You know how to reach people way better than I do. And I am going to trust you and I'm going to allow this to happen in your timing. I just had a prayer that I'd been praying for 40 years. I had it answered last year, 40 years of prayer. And it just reminded me that we have a very short-sighted view of God and we have this kind of demanding spirit that he must work out his plan in our timing. Well, that is just very encouraging to just keep on praying. Thank you for that. You know, one quote in your book really jumped off the page at me. You say, 
our relationships thrive or fail on the fulcrum of our thought lives. And I was Mm. just like, wow, (laughs) I was hoping that you could elaborate a little bit on the connection between the thoughts that we repeat over and over to ourselves and the way that we're relating with our kids. Yes. And I think that gets back to kind of at least something that I struggle with is this catastrophic thinking. Like we project down the road of, okay, if this is true today, then this catastrophe will happen tomorrow. And then it informs your thought life. And you can't be happy because you're grieving something that hasn't even happened yet or that you think might happen. And so I think what's helped me is, is in my thought life to be, to just err on the side of gratitude and to be grateful for what God is doing today instead of fretting about what he may or may not do tomorrow. I think there's a lot of breadcrumbs that we would see if we weren't so narrow-minded about how we think God is supposed to answer those prayers. And so when we relinquish control and we say, answer them however you want, and Lord, show me the breadcrumbs of your work, it has been such a joy to, it's like almost like a treasure hunt of, I'm going to find those little pathways, those little breadcrumbs along the path, and I'm going to write them down. I'm going to put them in my journal because when I get stressed about prayer or stressed about the situation, I can go back to those words that I wrote down and I can say, no, wait, wait, God is working. It's not really large necessarily, but I can see these breadcrumbs along the trail and it's encouraging me to keep going. And it helps me to reframe my thoughts around what's happening in front of me. Oh, that's so good. I'm, I'm a journaler. So that is just a great idea to start implementing it in my journal. Thank you. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Well, what would you say if those thoughts that you're having about your child and where they're at and your spouse's thoughts and feelings and everything just seem to be very mismatched or you're just not in the same place or maybe God has given one of you a stronger anchor in that season of just peace around it while your your spouse is maybe really highly anxious or frustrated. I mean, how do how would you speak to a couple who wants to partner together better in prayer and in parenting their kids? I would say that most healing happens in community. And so what has been really helpful for me has been to find other parents who are struggling, who are safe and who I can share my burdens with. And if your spouse is struggling more than you, then to pray um, that the Lord would place someone in their life to kind of process through that. When I released this book, I got a text from someone that I knew pretty well. And she said, oh my goodness, I need this book. And I literally had no idea that she was walking a difficult path. And so I think there's so much shame in this parenting realm of what did I do right? What did I not do right? That we don't share it out loud. But when we share it out loud, there's a certain amount of freedom that comes and healing that happens and also mourning and grief and lament. And when you do that in community, the burden becomes shared and it's not as heavy. And so my encouragement is to, if you're in that stress situation, find somebody to process with. And if your spouse is, then pray um, for them that God would open up a conversation with someone that they wouldn't feel alone anymore. Yeah, thank you. That's good. Yeah, you also point out the important and and humbling truth that uh, parenting wayward kids can also, God can use that to pull things out in us, uh, to change us. And so how can God use the hurt and frustration and sometimes disappointment of parenting a wayward child to grow us up? 
That's a great question. For me, it has been, you know, kind of like what Paul talks about, the fellowship of Christ's sufferings. There is something that is unmistakable about hurting that way. And then having this identification with Jesus who suffered for the sins of others. And I don't know how to explain it very well, other than there's this camaraderie that happens when you are broken by the decisions of others because you have this kinship with Jesus who totally and completely understands what that's like. And this is part of that cross that we are called to bear. And it weirdly sounds strange, but it is a joy to bear that burden because we don't bear it alone. And we have this deeper connection with Jesus because we're crying out to him all the time from the pain of it all. Yeah, that's beautiful. You're reminding me of a little bit of our journey uh, with fostering and adoption because God taught Joanna and I a lot uh, through that Mm. several year process. And and one of the biggest lessons I think God taught us through that was, you know, every day we're in a situation where we have literally no control over this child's life, you know, and you just mm-hmm. go through day to day recognizing that. And I remember in some very hard, um, low seasons of that time, God pointed out to Joanna and I that, you know what, that same open handedness that you have with, you know, with this foster child you need to have with your own children. They're mine also, and I'm in control of their lives also. And that was a very humbling, um, and, you know, we were raising teenage kids at the time too. So, you know, those mm-hmm. have their own challenges. And yes. then I'm, I'm reminded of that as you talk about that, because I'm like, it's very similar. There's, I don't think there's ever a point in this parenting process where God is not having us release our control of wanting the outcome in our timing and our way. And we, you know, we, that pride wells up. And so to remain humble and let God teach us what he needs to teach us in this process too is, is part of the journey. It is. And, you know, that's really, if you look at it, no matter where you are in your parenting journey, you're always on a sanctification journey. You're always on a discipleship journey. And the goal of it all is that sanctification process of becoming more and more like Jesus. And when we are betrayed and when we are hurting and when those we love go astray, we are, we have the opportunity to bend in or press in to the one who understands and loves us. And there's something very deep that happens. Now I know that there are parents that, and I've counseled them who have gotten mad at God and have been like, wait a minute, I did all the right things. I checked all the boxes and this is what happens. And so there is this kind of calling back to what is Christianity? Is is it having all of your ducks in a row and all the things that you want to be happy, to be happy, and then if they are, then you will be a Christian? Or is it uh, if Christ bids a man first, he bids him come and die? And so we do have to understand what the nature of the gospel is as well. Very good, yeah. You know, if I walked into a bookstore and I saw your book sitting on this shelf, um, the title would probably be a little startling, especially in relation to to the topic, because it holds the word joy. And I think that it's easy to look at parenting wayward kids as something where we just have to hang on by our fingernails until it's over, mm-hmm. or we can feel like this is just this heavy burden that we're going to just drag around for the rest of our lives, mm-hmm. right? And that that grieving that we've talked about and that concern for our kids can be very heavy and consuming, but you're saying, no, we can 
walk, not just getting through it, but we can walk with joy. So can you just tell us a little more about why that's true? It's true because you have to look at things in terms of the battle that's going on. So if you have a child that's losing that battle, at least in your opinion, (laughs) and you allow it to mess with you and your productivity and your joy for the kingdom and all of that, then the enemy gets two wins. And I am determined <laughs> he's not going to get two wins. He he may be winning in one area, but I still can make a decision every day to follow hard after the Lord and experience his joy. Now, saying that, I don't want to be glib about it either, because in order for me to have joy today, I had to walk through lament. And there is a chapter in the book about how do you do that? How do you name your pain? This is, you know, a, a great deal of the Psalms throughout um, the book of Psalms are lament Psalms. They have a very specific structure of naming what is wrong and grieving over what hasn't happened. And yet at the very end of each lament Psalm, with the exception of one, there is this declaration of the goodness of God and the trust in Him. And so that even just doing that little exercise and physically writing down your lament in that structure may also help you kind of turn a corner of grief and be able to kind of move forward. But I think we we like to stuff things instead of work through them. And I think we have to work through that grief in order to get through the to the other side. Yeah, I love that because, uh, yeah, it's not just putting on a happy face and pretending everything is... is uh hunky dory. I just aged myself by saying hunky dory, I think, but, um, (laughs) but, um, yeah, you know, it's, uh, and I think if I'm being honest, that's always been a hard thing for me to know how to hold those tensions of, of joy and hard circumstances and put Mm -hmm. them together. And, and so it goes back to God uses things to teach us. And so I, you know, and I, I desperately desire to have a, my home be a joyful place. And so Mm -hmm. can we, can I ask you, can we take that a little bit further? How do we create a joyful, loving home that our kids want to come back to, even if if we're in that tension of, of disagreement or or different worldviews or, or whatever? I do think that that is possible. And I think a part of it has to do with reaffirming our love for our kids. And one of the goals of my husband and I with our kids growing up was to create the kind of home that they were wildly enthusiastic about coming home to. Now, did we succeed? Not all the time, obviously. We definitely struggled in that area, but having this haven-like environment and, you know, that, that does come back from listening and praying and loving and all the things. Um, I, in the book, I'm exegeting first Corinthians 13 and we're walking out. What does it mean to be kind? What does it mean to be patient? What does it mean not to be boastful? And so this, that's kind of the whole structure of what I'm teaching in that book. And I think, like, I guess one thing for me that's been interesting is being the first phone call when a child is going through something really hard, even though we've had disagreements, that to me is kind of a beautiful exclamation point on all those years that we tried to build that haven into our home. You know, I'm guessing that today there is a mom or a dad listening who has been waiting and praying for a long, long time for their wayward child to come mm-hmm. back to God and, and even back to a relationship with their parents. Right? Can you just give us one last word that you can leave with us to encourage them today? I will say there is always hope. 
And the thing that's helped me so much, which really feels counterintuitive to me as a mom, but that God loves my kids 1 million times more than I ever could. And he is trustworthy and good. And resting in that has been very, very helpful. And also to remember not to trust in the things which are seen, but the things which are unseen. And the things that are unseen are the eternal things. And that gets back to this like laboring in the spirit and doing intercessory prayer and doing these things that um, are unseen. They are creating a weight of glory that uh, we will see on the other side. But right now it's our privilege to be able to pray and to intercede and not to lose hope. It's not easy. Biblical hope is not based on circumstance. Biblical hope is based on the character of God. And so we have to re-remind ourselves and preach the gospel to ourselves over and over again, know the word of God and really rest in those really beautiful truths that we say we believe, but when the rubber meets the rose, sometimes we don't. And I, I put myself in that category as well. Mm, wow, thanks. A few weeks ago, I was out with some gentlemen from a small group and one of them was talking about the parenting journey and just questions and things. And one of the guys said, oh, you should you should uh, ask Rob. He, he, he writes books about that stuff, you know, parenting and stuff like that. So you should ask him. And, and I'm like, literally my books are, they're, they're prayer books because <laughs> when it comes back down to it, that's where, uh, where the answers lie. I don't have, I don't call myself an expert in that. It's, but it's prayer. It's, it's, the power of prayer. And that's that we're, as we hold our kids up and out to the Lord, that's where we, re- we remember that he's doing a work and we, we trust that. And even if it's like your 40 year prayer, even if it takes longer than we, we would like, um, we know and can believe that God's still, still working. And so I'm just wondering if you would mind taking a moment right now and praying for the parents listening who are on this journey and need God's encouragement. Sure. Jesus, thank you for another day of life, and thank you for those um, who are walking through the valley of misunderstanding and suffering, and I pray, Lord, that you would be with them. Lord, there are some parents listening today who have been ghosted by their kids, or maybe they've had such a conflict that they've ghosted their kids, and they are not in relationship right now. I pray for breakthrough there. I pray, Lord, that you would reorient their hearts and re just bring back together kids to parents and parents to kids. Lord, give us a holy fascination um, toward our kids. Help us to be better listeners and uh, less with less pontificating. <laughs> and Lord, I pray that you would uh, use this journey to bring us closer to you, to cause us to be disciples of you in a deeper way. Lord, thank you that during this time of our lives, it can be some of the most fruitful times. So help us not to be sidelined by pain. I pray you bring community into our lives that would bear the burden that we carry so that we know we're not alone. I pray for the parent that's been praying for years and years and is very discouraged. I pray you would lift that discouragement now in Jesus' name. And I pray you give all of us eyes to see the breadcrumbs that you are doing right now instead of trying to want the great big answer all at once, but to really see you work in those little places. And Lord, I often find you in those little places. And so I pray that for my friend listening today, they would find you in the little breadcrumbs of what you're doing. I pray this in your powerful name. I pray against um, what the enemy wants to do to steal, kill, and destroy our families and our kids. And I thank you that you are the author of life and you love to give life and give it abundantly. So we rest in that today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Wow. 
Thank you so much, Mary, for sharing all of this with us today. And I know that our friends are going to want to connect with you and learn more about how they can get their hands on your book and all of the other resources that you've created. You have just created a a wealth of great things for us. So where is the best place to find you online? Probably the best is uh, marydemuth.com or at marydemuth on Instagram. And I do have a gift for your listeners if they go to marydemuth.com slash LPL, which would stand for love, pray, listen. So marydemuth.com slash LPL. There's 52 prayers. So one for every week that you can pray for your kids and there's blanks in them. You can put their names in there and that's absolutely free. Oh, that's fantastic. And everybody make sure you check out the show notes because we'll make sure those links are right there for you. Yeah. Yes, and uh, I'm going to go download that right after we finish here. So, Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Um, thank you so much for joining us today, Mary. We really appreciate the encouragement of your book and uh, you, you joining us. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Yes, and thank you, friends, for joining us today on the podcast. Uh, we'd love to connect with you over on our website, growinghometogether.com, where you'll find all kinds of resources to help you pray for your family, to create memories together, and to get into the Word as a couple. At Growing Home Together, we're caring for the soul of your family. And we're growing home together with you. Bye. Bye.